Hello there, misfits. I'm Kate. And I'm Kale. Welcome to Horrorwood. The amount of times I've practiced that word, H-O-R-O-R, is kind of slutty. I actually feel like I did not, I didn't say it very well that time. But that's the name of the podcast, so that's what it is. We're sticking to it. Horrorwood. That's that's closer. Thank you. (laughs) Um, It's our debut episode, and I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm stoked. I'm I'm also kind of nervous, but that's okay. Oh, I'm uh, hella so, nervous. <laughs> so we decided for our first episode to have the subject be someone iconic, um, legendary, and deeply missed. And it's none other than Marilyn Monroe. NJB, baby. I really wanted this to be one episode. But there's too much. Like, as soon as I started doing research, I was like, you know what? And I texted Kaylee and I said, yeah, sorry, I think it's going to be a two-parter. And you were like, yeah, I figured. And then when you got here, I was like, yeah, so I think it's going to be three parts. Because there's just, I mean, in order to do it justice, you can't just gloss over the details. Like, there are some diehard Maryland fans out there. And like, I want to... I want to do it right. I can't, you know, gloss over anything. So uh, we are going to get into it. I'm going to talk a lot about her background, um, like her early years and then like getting into her career, because I feel like so much of where she came from and uh, what she you know, the relationships that she had in life and just, you know, how she was treated throughout her career had a huge impact on her death. And that's what we're here to talk about is death. So I think it's important to um, get some background first. So are you ready? Ready. Okay, here we go. So Norma Jean Mortensen was born on June 1st, 1926 in Los Angeles, California to her mother, Gladys. Norma was Gladys's third child. Her first two children were with former husband, Jasper Newton Baker. I do like the name Jasper. Jasper. They had married when Gladys was just 15 years old and he was 21. But I mean, it was 1917. So, you know, things were different. Um, my grandma was 17 when she married my granddad and he was 25 and they were inseparable the rest of their lives because love, because love, but unlike my grandparents, Gladys and Jasper's love, unfortunately did not last. Gladys worked as a film cutter at a movie studio. So basically like in editing. And one day she came home from work early to find Jasper in bed with another woman. The goal. They, I know. They got in a huge fight, obviously. Okay, 
first up, when I typed huge, it autocorrected to hug. So it said they got in a hug fight. <laughs> I was like, I wish all fights were hug fights. I'm down for a <laughs> hug fight. So uh, they get in this huge fight and Gladys was like, you need to get the fuck out of here. Direct quote. So he left, but then snuck back in later and kidnapped their two babies. So Gladys did everything she could to get them back. She searched and searched for them and finally traced them to Kentucky, where Jasper was from. She used all her savings to hitchhike across the country to Kentucky to get them back. By the time she got there, though, she was broke and exhausted because, you know, of all the hitchhiking. And when she found her kids, she saw that they were really well off. Jasper had remarried. They lived in a really nice house. The kids were happy and doing great. And when Gladys saw this, she decided not to ask Jasper for anything. Not money, not the kids, nothing. Because she knew that he could give them a better life than she could. Which, like, when you think about that, shows just how much she loved her kids. Because she spent her entire savings hitchhiking across the freaking country. And then saw that they would have a better life with Jasper than with her. That's called a mother's love. Exactly. Exactly. Because that is a gut-wrenching decision. Like, I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, So another factor that convinced Gladys the kids should stay with Jasper was she was already aware that mental illness ran in her family. Her father had been taken away to a mental hospital where he eventually died. Her grandmother had also been taken away to a mental hospital where she died. And her brother, who also suffered from mental, from mental illness, ended up dying by suicide, unfortunately. So I'm sure she was concerned she might suffer the same fate. And she did. Right. She. Well, yeah. And we'll we'll get into that. But I I don't think she wanted, you know, her kids to to be in that situation. So obviously, again, this was the early 1900s and mental health resources just weren't what they are today. So Gladys went back to California without the kids and continued working as a film cutter. And it wasn't long before she would meet and eventually marry Martin Edward Mortensen. He went by his middle name, Edward. They married in October of 1924, but separated just seven months later in May of 1925 because Gladys had taken a liking to her boss, one Mr. Charles Stanley Gifford, um, which I got to say, so I saw a picture of Charles Stanley Gifford and I'll post it. Um, I get it. I get it, Gladys. Charles had it going on. Oh, the most handsome. So in June of 1926, Norma Jean was born, and Gladys wrote her last name as Mortensen on her birth certificate. But remember, Gladys and Edward had been separated for more than a year at the time of Norma's birth because they split in May of 1925. Did he know that he was the father? Who, Charles or or Edward? Edward. No, because Edward, they had already split. Oh. But she used his last name on the birth certificate because, you know, the illegitimacy of it all. So, yeah. So Fascinating from day one. 
Exactly. The question of who was Norma's biological father remained a mystery for decades, and it was just recently confirmed, like literally a few weeks ago, based on DNA evidence that, are you ready for it? Ready. Charles Stanley Gifford, you are the father. Oh. So the boss she had her little fling with, you know, produced Norma Jean. They used familial DNA to um, determine that, you know, confirm that he was the father. Uh, they used a saliva sample from Charles's great grandchild and then a strand of Marilyn Monroe's hair. This is very Maury Povich. Oh, I, well, I was trying to do my Maury Povich voice. Did that come through? It did. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your silence as a no. Um, so... Unfortunately, when Gladys told Charles she was pregnant, he abandoned her, and Norma Jean never got to know her biological father. Despite that Gladys had been married to Edward, she often used her first husband's name, Jasper's last name, of Baker. So that's why you hear Norma Jean Baker a lot. Um, So Gladys's mother, Della, insisted Norma be baptized with the last name Baker. And she thought that that would help hide the fact that Norma was an illegitimate child, which I'm not really sure, like, how that would hide that fact because she wasn't with Jasper, but she also wasn't with Edward anymore. So I don't know why changing the name from Mortensen to Baker, maybe just because it's easier to say. I don't know. It's two syllables. Well, maybe. But I guess because Gladys used it. And so, you know, Della wanted to keep that. Yeah. So, shortly after Norma's birth, Gladys struggled with taking care of Norma and keeping a job. So, she made the difficult decision to put Norma in the care of another couple. I have a question. Yeah. Did she have any other, um, like, close encounters with her other children? What, what Do we get to that? What What's happening with them now? Do they know they so, have a sibling? So, unfortunately, um, the son, it was a, as a daughter and son, the son died, I think, when he was, like, 13. Um, but the daughter, Bernice, she did learn about Norma Jean, and um, they did have a bit of a relationship later in life. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, the, the boy died. Wow. So, Norma did not get to know him. Um, and also... Because I'm talking about her early life and she hasn't changed her name yet, I'm going to refer to her as Norma just because, like, just to keep it more clear. And then once she changes her name, then I'll call her Marilyn. But right now she's still Norma. Norma it is. Norma it is. So I was going to try not to do that. And I had to. I was like, oh, my God, I have to clear this voice. All right. So. Uh, she wanted, you know, she had to put Norma in the care of someone else. So she paid the letter carrier. So basically the mailman, $5 a week to take care of Norma. Is that where that always comes from? Like, uh, you know, some, a kid doesn't look like the, the dad, they say it's the mailman's. I mean, I think it's just, um, that's just like if the woman had an affair with a mailman. Oh, Okay. But I don't think it comes from this particular story. <laughs> but I like where your head's at. <laughs> so so $5 back then would be about $84 today. So like around 84 bucks a week to take care of her kid. And like, can you imagine handing over your child to the mailman? Like, don't get me wrong. I love our mailman. His name is Keith and he's the best. But um, shout out to Keith. But 
I don't know that I would be willing to turn a child over to him. Just be like, hey, can you just like watch her for a bit? I mean, that's a lot of stamps. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's a lot of stamps. Um, so Gladys, she was just doing what she felt she had to do, you know? So she was trying to do the right thing. The couple that was taking care of Norma, their names were Ida Bolander and Albert Wayne Bolander. And they already had children of their own, and they didn't have a ton of money, which is why they took Norma in, because they basically just needed that money. By the and age of seven- And what's one more kid, let's be honest. I when mean, one, yeah. Uh, you know. And I think that, yeah, I think they had a couple before Norma came along. By the age of seven, Norma was already working hard in the home. Like, she had a lot of chores. She kind of was- Modern day Cinderella? I mean, a little bit. Well, yeah. I guess it wouldn't like, be modern, but back in the day Cinderella- well, Back in the day, Cinderella, I mean, yeah, she would scrub the floors and do the dishes and run errands for the family. So she became like, I don't know, it was like a lot of child labor that I just felt like they were getting paid to take care of her. But then they were like, hey, go do this. So since Norma had been in this couple's care since shortly after her birth, she assumed they were her family and she considered them her parents and the children her siblings. And she said she loved hanging out with her dad, a.k.a. the mailman. And in the mornings, she would sit on the edge of the tub while he was shaving and getting ready for work. And she would just ask him questions like, how many people are in the world? Or which way is south? Like those kinds of questions that all little kids have. And that the mailman clearly has answers for. I mean, he gets around. (laughs) He does. He he knows which way is south. I hope. (laughs) And she said, and this kind of broke my heart when I read it. She said he was the only one who ever answered her questions, which is just like, oh. Um, Then one day she walks into the room where the woman she had known as her mom was. And she said, mama. And the woman just turned to her, Ida, turned to her and said, don't call me mama. You're old enough to know better. I'm not related to you in any way. You just bored hair. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cutthroat. She was seven. She was seven years old. Can you imagine? No. Like everything she'd known at that point was a lie. So she eventually did get to meet her mom. Um, and like Gladys would come and visit, and then she would be able to go to where Gladys lived. And on the wall in Gladys's place, there was only one photograph, and there were no other pictures anywhere. And it was a photo of a man. Norma didn't know who. But she said that every time she went there, she was just drawn to this picture. And she would just stand and stare at it. She said, I, she said, quote, I felt very warm toward the picture. Was it her father? And Was it Jesus? Well, one day, well, it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> and then one day while she was visiting, Norma was staring at the picture as per usual. And Gladys lifted her up onto a chair so she could get a better look at it and told her, that's your father. It was a photo of Charles Stanley Gifford. Maybe it felt like she was staring back at herself. Ooh, I didn't think about that. She just felt that presence. I mean, she definitely was drawn to it. And Norma said she was so excited to see who her actual father was. She almost fell off the chair. And I fall fall off the chair regularly. So, you know. (laughs) And you, but you do know who your dad is. (laughs) Here's hoping. Maybe it's the mailman. I mean, it could be. It could It could be all a lie that your parents have been telling you. I mean, quote, your parents. We don't know. <laughs> she, said, like she said, 
well, you do. <laughs> she said finding out that um, that that was her father for the first time. She she said that was the first time she ever felt happy, and she was seven. Aww. Like, oh, that's crushing. It is. She described her dad as looking like Clark Gable. She, you know, oh, she knew, like she knew, like movies and stuff, and she knew what movie stars look like, and she immediately thought he looked like Clark Gable because he had, quote, a lively smile in his eyes. Listen, that Gable was a looker. He was a little hottie with that little stash. Mm. He was kind of also an ass, though, and we'll talk about that in part two. But anyway, so uh, he had, she said he had a lively smile in his eyes and a thin mustache, and he wore a hat that was cocked to the side a little bit. I love a good cock. I'm going to cock to the side. Sometimes things come out of my mouth and then I realize what I've said. I mean, you know what? It's okay, girl, because Marilyn liked one too. So it's it's all good. You have that in common. Speaking of my parents, are they going to be listening to this? I don't know. I might have to monitor that. Oh, I I can't have my family listen to this. I'm not going to censor myself. So sorry, mom, if you decide to, if you, if you do learn how to pull up a podcast, I don't, I don't know that that'll happen. We have that Um, advantage. (laughs) <laughs> True. Baby boomers. So, so um, yeah, I'll post the photo on our Instagram because he does look like Clark Gable. Like it is, yeah, it's, I see the resemblance. Is he still single? Uh, well, he's dead. So I guess he's single in the afterlife. Great. I'm working with Bumble and, and dead men now. That's wonderful. You know what? I say that he's dead. I need to actually double check that. But I think, I mean, well, yes, he is dead because Norma would be 96 if she was alive right now. So he's dead. I don't even know why I thought that maybe he was alive. I don't he's even not. know why I was thinking I should date him. <laughs> that's another, that's for another day. Um, so when... Norma asked about him because obviously she was like, okay, that's my dad. I want to meet him. Gladys told her he'd been killed in an automobile accident in New York. But Norma never believed this. And she was right because he was not dead. Gladys just didn't want to tell her that he'd walked out on them. Boy, Gladys had some pride. Yeah. And I mean, like too, she's just trying to protect Norma. I think she just felt like well, if she knows that he's dead, maybe that's better than, or if she thinks he's dead, maybe that's better than feeling like he abandoned her. Mm-hmm. So about a year after first seeing his picture, Norma started a scrapbook. And the very first photo she put in it was a picture of Clark Gable because he looked like her father. Uh-huh. I'm sure Gladys could tell that Norma was not super happy staying with the mailman and his family. They had kids of their own. So like, obviously they put, their own kids first and Norma was constantly working and doing chores and it just wasn't a great situation and when Norma would visit Gladys I'm sure they talked about it also mothers just have a sense about these things you know so when the um well I'm gonna so I'm gonna back up so I think Gladys was already starting to sense that like Norma might it might be time to get her out of that house what's the age range and, at this point beyond seven we know um she would have been so what i'm, I'm getting ready to go into like the story i'm getting ready to go into i think she's around 11 okay. when it happens um so she i mean yeah she'd been with this family for you know a good while 
Um, but, you know, things aren't going great. So the time comes that Norma has to have her tonsils out. And there were some complications from the surgery. So she had to stay in the hospital for several days afterwards. And when she got back to the her home slash the mailman's house, the family dog starts barking like crazy because he missed her, obviously. And Norma loved this dog and Who he loved her. Love so, dog? Come on. Right? So, I mean, unless you're allergic, I guess, I which I get. Okay. And he loved her. So they were both very excited to see each other. Oh, do we have a name? A dog name? Oh, we do not have a dog name, unfortunately. Uh, but the next door leaf. neighbor. Okay, well, don't get too attached. Okay. The next door neighbor was pissed about all the noise. And like, okay, this little girl has just gotten home from the hospital after this like probably traumatizing surgery. She's so excited to be back. The dog is there. He's so happy to see her. She's happy to see him. But of course the neighbor's getting pissed. So this is a big trigger warning because this is, I, even reading it, I was like, oh my God. So get ready, Kaylee, because you're going to. If they harm the dog, I'm going to have, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to pull their tonsils out. Well, you might need to start tracking them down then because you're going to have some work to do. (sighs) So the neighbor starts chasing the dog and swung a garden hoe at him. It hit the dog in the back and sliced him in half. I wasn't ready for that. I'm the trigger warning. And Norma watched it all happen. Age 11. Yeah. she. I mean, I think around 11. She was a little kid. Yeah. And this, I mean, and she, and this is like her pet, you know? So between Norma just being unhappy overall with where she was living and the incident with the dog, Gladys felt she had to get Norma out of that house. So she found another couple that she paid to take care for, care of her. And they were two actors. Uh, their names were George and Maude Atkinson. And I did see one article that stated this couple had a daughter of their own named Nellie. So I'm assuming Nellie is in the picture. I feel like this might be a, it's going, it's going to a good route. They're actors, which we know that she gets into. They have a daughter named Mm -hmm. Nellie, uh, Nellie and Norma. I like it. I mean, that is cute as fuck. So one day when Gladys went to visit Norma at the home of this new family, she told her she was going to build a house that they could all live in. Gladys, Norma, and the Atkinsons. And George and Maude needed money, and Gladys needed childcare and hated being separated from her daughter. So she came up with this solution. She was like, this will be great. We'll all live together. I can work and while you all, you know, watch Norma. And we'll just all be one big happy family. Uh, And to her credit, Gladys made it happen. She took out a loan and combined it with her savings from her job at the movie studio. And they got a house and all moved in together. So she was, you know, she was getting it. She worked double shifts to pay for furniture and was just doing the damn thing, you know. She was determined to not have things go the way they did with her first two kids. She wanted to, you know... This time around, she's like, I got to get it right. Make amends, yeah. So with the money she earned from her job, Gladys bought what she considered to be the prized possession. In a secondhand shop, she, well, no. In a secondhand shop, she found a beat-up grand piano that had once belonged to the movie star Frederick March. 
Frederick March was a huge deal at the time. He was at the height of his career. He was already an Academy Award winner for Best Actor uh, for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And he would later go on to win that award again, as well as two Tony Awards for Best Actor. So, like, he was a big deal. Um, Side note, March, Frederick March, attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And while he was there, he was briefly a member of a fraternity named the Ku Klux Klan. It had no, yeah, it had no association with the white supremacist group we now associate with that name. Um, Those also, those aren't Greek letters. I'm confused. The white supremacist, aren't they not? You know what? I don't don't know. know, I don't know. I I I was not in the Greek system. I wasn't either. Um, The white supremacist group at the time was a very small regional organization. And so the Did they have a name yet? I mean, did they have, was it? They did. But I think that they were so small and no one really knew about them yet. Uh, So the school never felt a need to change the name. And the thing is, March was actually very outspoken, a very outspoken proponent of the civil rights movement for decades. Like he was like he was not a white. He was not a racist, a white supremacist. He was that just wasn't him. And since um, the well, once the KKK that we know of became more well known, the fraternity did change the name. Okay. Um. But both the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh and the University of Wisconsin Madison had named their theaters after Frederick March. But in 2018, students became aware of reports that March had been in a fraternity called the KKK, and they began protesting and urged the school to remove his name, and they did. And in 2020, the school changed the name to just Theater Arts Center. But, like, he was never involved with the KKK. He did so much work in civil rights and like just to have his, you know, sort of legacy kind of stripped away like that because uh, it's just, yeah, it's a lot. So Gladys finding this piano that once belonged to this big star was huge. And it would be like, it would be like if you walked into Goodwill and there was Lin-Manuel Miranda's piano. Yeah. And they were just like, yeah, it's kind of beat up and looks like shit. One of my dreams is to have a baby grand piano. And if it had belonged to Lin-Manuel Miranda, like, I think you'd be like, fuck yes, I need this in my home. And you would, like, work double shifts. Yeah, it would be my couch. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be like, take all my money. Here you go. Um, So Gladys gave the piano to Norma as a gift and intended for her to have piano lessons. Uh She dreamed of entertaining guests in their new home while Norma played the piano and everyone would sit around and listen. Like, this this was Gladys's dream. Unfortunately, though, her dream was never realized because signs of mental illness had already begun to show in Gladys. Mm -hmm. Yes. And one night, as Norma, George, Maud, and presumably Nellie sat at home, they heard a huge commotion coming from the stairwell. And in her autobiography, My Story, I I used her book my story that she wrote Marilyn Monroe wrote um with the help of a friend a lot and I'll link it in the show notes um because it was a great source um so in this book she describes this night as hearing all kinds of noise like someone had fallen down the stairs so George gets up to check to see what's going on because he thinks like someone's hurt and he finds Gladys she's standing upright she hadn't fallen she was just 
causing a ruckus, probably like banging against the walls and shit. And was she manic. She was. She was. She was both screaming and laughing. So he and Maude tried to shield Norma from seeing her mother like this. But I mean, they were all right there in the house together. It's kind of hard not to see what's going on. So they sent for a police and an ambulance. Um, oh, she was. Oh, my. OK, so she was eight years old at this time. So actually, the the dog thing happened when she was just eight. So just just to, you know, send you further into a I'm a dark hole. Very angry about that. So she, uh, at eight years old, Norma watched as authorities took her mother out of the house screaming and laughing. And they took her to a mental hospital. And, and is that where she stayed or does she come back? Um, she stayed there for a time. Okay. Um, it's interesting to note that both Norma's grandfather and great-grandmother also had spells of screaming and laughing before they were taken to mental hospitals. So just like an interesting, an interesting genetic thing. factor, right? Uh, once her mother was taken away, Norma and the Atkinsons lost everything because without Gladys's income, they could George keep and Maude couldn't afford to take care of Norma or keep the house. So the house, the furniture, the baby the piano, grand piano. Oh. yep, all of it was gone, and Norma was put into an orphanage. Oh. She said she was always haunted by that night with her mother, and when she would go to bed, all she could hear was, quote, the terrible noise on the stairs and my mother screaming and laughing as they led her out of the home she had tried to build for me. Like, ugh. Oh, my gosh. That's heart-wrenching yeah. for a child and to see that. And I, I mean, so my day job, obviously, you know, is a teacher uh, mm -hmm. of, of students with special needs, namely emotional disturbance, so I... I can resonate in the understanding of how this could be traumatic for, for a child. Oh yeah. And like, just, that's the thing is all the trauma that she went to, went through as a kid, like it all comes back. Oh, of course. It's, you, I mean, it's like, you just see these patterns being set up and she's just, she's being set up to, to have a really hard life. I mean, she's already, um, she's already, I mean, she's what, eight and she's already had a really yeah. hard life. And so this is just a side note that I love. She said she never forgot about that house. And once she was older and started making a little money, well, not not the house. She tracked down the Frederick March piano in an old auction room, and she bought that. And it was repainted and restored, and she kept it in her Hollywood home, and she said it played beautifully. So it's just like, oh. I love a good keynote. Uh, <laughs> For the next eight years, Norma would float between the orphanage, foster homes, and her Aunt Grace's home. So her Aunt Grace wasn't actually her aunt, but her mom's best friend. And that was a thing. Like, every woman that took care of her, she called aunt. So, like, okay. foster families yeah, that she went into, they were aunt and uncle. But the kids of the foster parents, she considered her siblings. So they were her sisters and brothers. Okay. But then the parents were aunt. So... Grace was Gladys's best friend. They had worked together. And uh, so to Norma, she was Aunt Grace. Uh, and when Gladys was taken away, Grace became Norma's guardian. But financially, she didn't have the means to care for her full time, which is why Norma kind of floated in between homes. 
Got it. Uh, Grace would look after her. Yeah. Grace would look after her as often as she could. But since um, they didn't have much money, they basically survived on stale bread and milk. The two of them would stand in line for... Right. But unfortunately, like they it was it was forced. That was just their life. The two of them would stand in line for hours outside of the bakery waiting to get a sack full of old bread for 25 cents. Which is Jimmy John's day old bread. Right. And I'm not sure it was just a day like it was stale, but that is what they survived on. So during this time that Grace was her guardian, Norma floated between. Uh, like I said, her house, the orphanage, and various foster families. And in the span of eight years, between the time she was eight and 16. She had a lot of aunties. She was placed with nine different wow. families. Wow. So, yeah. Most of these families, families had children of their own. So, again, Norma came last. And while the other kids were getting new toys and clothes, little Norma was stuck with her orphanage outfit, which was a faded blue skirt with a white blouse. And she was given two of these by the orphanage so that she could alternate. While one was dirty, she had a clean one. Norma said she never felt loved as a child and often felt lonely and wanted to die. And to cheer herself up, she would daydream of attracting the attention of others and having people look at her and say her name. Which makes sense, because if you are not given much attention as a kid, like, yeah, you are going to dream about that. You want, you're going to dream about the day when, you know, everyone is looking at you and, and loving you and everyone and you're thinks you're the bombshell that, you're... that you are, which is exactly what motivates exactly. people to, you know, better their life. And you want to know something else she dreamed about? Of course. Uh, taking her clothes off in church. <laughs> well, that's one godly way of getting attention. I mean, I went to church as a kid, too, and I would also daydream because my mind would just wander. But, like, I daydreamed about things like running up and down the aisle screaming to see what people would do or, like, suddenly bursting into song when it was really quiet. But, no, little Norma Jean fantasized about taking all her clothes off she said she would sit in the pew and pray to God that he would stop her from getting naked. Well, in her defense, I mean, Jesus was practically naked on the cross. So maybe it's just like she felt comfortable that way. Well, she said she said it wasn't about being naked in church. She had no it was like there was no sexual connotation oh, okay. to it. Okay. She was just and this is this is what will break your heart. She was just ashamed of the clothes she, she wore because wearing. she was poor. She had no because Sunday. Again, she had no Sunday dress. That was huge back then, like huge. Yeah, she only had her blue faded <sighs> skirt and white blouse that she literally wore every single day. And people assumed she was wearing the same, like just the same clothes, like not knowing there were two of each. And Norma would wash them herself, so they were always clean. But since they were identical people were just like oh she wears the same clothes over and over that's a definite like that's that's one of those moments where you realize like what you have and what to be grateful for and you know the real the the realistic manner of this is this still is a thing I mean this still is happening well yeah absolutely and I like I just the fact that she would wash them herself every day and because she wanted to, you know, like 
feel like clean basically and taken care and, of and people you know that that was lost on people like it's like she just couldn't win so from so, an early age she really was a survivalist like she oh 100% i mean the fact that she was just constantly set up to to fail in this fail system. in a way mm-hmm. but she she was always you know trying to yeah she persevered she like she was i would say she was a survivor but like she was she was just good about taking care of herself and seeing things through and just trying to get to the next thing you know yeah um so every other week an inspector from the orphanage would visit these foster families she was with to do like a quote wellness check I put wellness in quotes because like literally they, these checks consisted of the inspector looking at the bottoms of Norma's shoes. And if they weren't worn through, Norma was considered to be thriving. Wow. Wow. So the bar was low. Yeah. Saturday nights were typically bath nights because it was the late thirties, early forties around this time. And these foster families didn't have much money, which is why they're fostering in the first place. And water costs money. So they'd have one night a week where everyone in the family would take turns taking a bath. And because there wasn't much money, it was unheard of to change the bath water in the tub before the next person would bathe. So by the time she got in there, it was exactly the dark, whole family water. used the same bath water. And because she always came last... She was the last one to bathe. I am counting. So my she blessings. had to bathe in water that five or six people had already bathed in. Can you imagine? I mean, it's not like, like you're not even you're not even bathing at that point. You're yeah, you're playing you're in a mud like, pit at that point. Oh, gross! Like, I mean, sometimes even sitting in my own bath water, I'm like, all right, this is nasty. Five or six other people before you. Yeah. But but to her, she, she probably felt like she was getting clean because she only bathed once a week. I don't even, I, like, I don't think she felt like she was getting clean. I think she was just, I'm sure she was probably glad to get something. Rinsed off. Yeah. But I don't think she ever felt clean. She She got in trouble at one of the houses she stayed at because she used the bathroom at night and flushed the toilet. And the family told her she was using up too much money and to only flush the toilet once in the morning. Wow. And again, things we take for it's granted. not like everyone it's not like everyone had their own private toilet to use. Everyone is sharing. So if you're not flushing, I mean, just imagine what is in There's that. There's a lot of poopsies in there. A lot of poopsies. So she actually she got in trouble a lot, um, but only because she was constantly being accused of things she did not do. Sounds like a real misfit. She, I mean, she always felt that she was. So she was constantly being accused of stealing, which she wasn't, hitting other kids, she was not, destroying property, she didn't. And when this happened, whatever family she was staying with would send her back to the orphanage. And like, it was generally other kids that were blaming her for shit. And yeah, the thing was like, she wasn't doing any of that. And then she'd get kicked out of the house. Um, but when she was when she was staying with a family, she was always working. She did not have time to do the things that she was so often accused of doing because she was busy scrubbing floors and washing clothes. Like she didn't have time to go out and steal something, you know. She literally was like a cinder girl, like Cinderella. She was. She was. 
She would often daydream to make the work go by a little easier and faster. I do and that she too. Said, <laughs> she said, quote, I dreamed of myself becoming so beautiful that people would turn to look at me when I passed. I dreamed of myself walking proudly in beautiful clothes and being admired by everyone. She foreshadowed. And I'm like, right? That's awesome. But child labor and being treated as an afterthought and being accused of things she didn't do, these were not the worst things she would suffer through, unfortunately. When she was just eight years old, okay, and this is, this is rough. She lived with a family who rented a room out to a man that they called Mr. Kimmel. If he has a dog and something happens to it, I might have to go take a reset break. Uh... There's no dog involved in this right. one. We can proceed then. Good. It's not good. Oh, no. One day, little Norma was walking down the hallway, and when she passed by his room, he told her to come in. Oh, no. We are... Mm-mm. Yep. So she assumed he wanted her to run an errand or something because that's what was always expected of her. She cleaned. She ran errands, you know. So she asked, oh, where do you want me to go, Mr. Kimmel? And he replied, no place. And then he closed the door oh. behind her and locked it. So, yes, another warning here. This has to do with sexual assault. So this shit stain of a man, Mr. Kimmel, molested Norma. She said she kicked and fought as hard as she could, but he was so much bigger and stronger than she was, and he wouldn't let her go. Again, she was eight years old. There's a fiery place in hell for... I sure hope so. Yeah. I sure hope so. Uh, immediately, Norma went to her caretakers to tell them what happened, but the woman, quote-unquote, caring for her, told her, don't you dare say anything against Mr. Kimmel. He's my star boarder. But basically, the family was making a lot of money off this asshole and didn't want anything to jeopardize that. So a week after this horrific, horrific crime against this innocent child... Everyone in the house, including Mr. Kimmel, went to a religious revival meeting. That's one, That's one thing about, like, all these families. Like, a lot of them were super religious, which, I mean, believe what I mean, you want. Religion but religion at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like, when you use religion to do harm to others, that's when it's a problem. So the woman of the house insisted Norma come with them. They all gathered together with, like, all these other people attending this evangelical meeting, and the preacher asked that all sinners come up to the altar and repent. Bye, Kimmel. Well, little Norma bolts to the front and immediately starts telling everything that happened with Mr. Kimmel because she thought she had done something wrong. She thought it was her fault and that this had happened to her, which obviously it was not Victims of assault do not cause the assault, just to be clear. Unfortunately, though, no one heard her describe what had happened to her because several other people had run up at the same time, you know, confessing their sins. So everyone was talking at once and it completely drowned her out. So no one even like heard what this shitbag did. So as Norma got a little older she began to develop and she developed early and before any of her peers. At 12 years old, she looked like she was 17, truly. Um, however, no one really noticed the change in her body because she was still wearing, wearing the same clothes, recently. the same faded blue skirt and white blouse that the orphanage had provided. She had to walk to school 
which was two miles because the bus cost five cents and she couldn't afford it. She said she hated the walk. She hated school. She didn't have any friends. No one at school talked to her I mean, or offered to walk teacher, home with her. Breaks my heart. This is, I mean, and I mean, it's still just as a today, human. Right, as a human, it, yeah. Like I can't handle when any kid is rude to another kid. Like I just can't. I, I just can't. When I when I worked inner city New York, uh, there were several kids who were wearing the same clothes over and over again because they only had two yeah. outfits provided by the school. Yeah. And so it's just sad that like decades later, some of this stuff is still going on. Oh, 100%. And she, like no, no kids talked to her. Like no one ever invited her over, you know, for like a slumber party or anything like that. They just saw her as, quote, a poor girl who never smiled. Well, yeah. What do you have to smile about at that point? Like, it was bad. Kids constantly made fun of her and called her names. Like, I just want to, I just want to go back in time and reach out to her and give her a big hug and just say, just wait, girl. Like, yeah. you're gonna, it's, it's gonna get better. It's gonna get, then it's gonna get worse again, but it is gonna get better. So one morning before school, Norma saw that both of her blouses were torn and she only had the two blouses. And this is after being, after developing. Yes. Mm. And she knew if she stopped to get them fixed on her way to school, she'd be late for school. So she asked one of the other girls in the house, so, you know, quote her sister, you know, um, asked one of the other girls if she could borrow something to wear. Because remember, the other kids were the caretaker's biological children, so they had a lot more clothes. And the girl was like, yeah, sure, here's a sweater. You can wear this. And although she and Norma were the same age, Norma was much more developed than she was. So when Norma put the sweater on, it was tight, uh, a bit tight. She said when she walked into her first class that day, which was math, in case anyone's wondering, everyone stopped and stared at her. They must have been calculating. I'm still calculating the fact when am I going to develop. But other than that, okay, we can proceed. I mean, well, I just need I just need my right boob to develop. <laughs> like the left one's good. I'm still waiting on the right to come in. Um, but anyway, so. They uh, they went to recess and a bunch of boys crowded around her and just kept looking at her chest because, you know, mm. ugh, boys. Mm -hmm. And then four boys walked her home that day. <laughs> and so it begins. Exactly. The, the she said shell. after that, she said school became much different after that. Mm. Classmates started inviting her over. It was noticed. There were always several boys hanging around her house. And the thing was, it was all pretty innocent. Like, they would just play games outside in the street and just hang out until it was time to go in for dinner. So it was, like, pretty, you know, they're all still kids. Um, a few weeks go by at this point. Um, Norma has turned 13 at this time. She's and still so young. Like, oh, my gosh. I know. She's so young. And like a lot of other kids her age, she starts getting interested in makeup. So she starts wearing lipstick and darkening her eyebrows, putting on a little mascara, like, you know. Adultifying herself. That's what it yes. is. Um, I mean, like, you know how you are at that age where she's like, mm, I wonder it's if I'll try. It's like, mm -hmm. Yeah. So she walks into school one day wearing makeup for the first time. And mind you, she's still wearing that same sweater because the girl she borrowed it from never asked for it back. 
and her only other clothes were the ones from the orphanage. And she was like, screw that. So she's got the tight sweater on. She's got the makeup. She's got it going on. And then came the haters. Girls started getting super jealous because she was getting all kinds of jealousy. Ooh. And it wasn't just girls in her class. It, like, it was the seniors, like 17 and 18-year-olds. They yeah, she looked better than not that. It. Yeah. And they start spreading all these rumors about her because when you're a teenager, you're an asshole. Well, so they I start mean, not the, just teenage years. Well, true. I mean, well, there are a lot of assholes in this world. So they start saying that she, okay, just keep in mind when I tell you this story, she's 13 years old, Okay. They start saying that she was a drunk and spent her evenings having sex with guys on the beach. She's 13. Um, she was like, um, excuse me, I don't drink and I don't just let boys have their way with me. And BT dubs, I've never even been on a beach in my entire life. She really had asked, like, has she ever been to a beach? No, she hadn't. Despite being from L.A., she was poor. She moved from home to home. The beach, it wasn't exactly on the itinerary, you know. But rather than being angry at these girls for spreading rumors, she was loving it. Oh, the attention. We're back to the attention. She was like, yeah, she's like, oh, girls are jealous of me. They think they're going to lose their boyfriends to me because I'm more attractive. Hell yeah. So she felt like her daydreams of attracting attention were finally coming true. You know, so get it, girl. By that summer, she had a boyfriend. He was 21 She's years old. better than me at this point. She was 13, but he thought she was 18 because she looked so much older. And I right. think she just didn't bother to correct him. She was like, oh, cool. Um, but again, like, you have to think, like, this is back right. in the day. Because right. my grandma met my granddad. She was 13 and he was 21. And the first time that he saw her, he said to his, he was, like, with a group of his friends he said, that's the woman I'm going to marry. Yeah, very predatory she, now, like, but back in the day, it was very much exactly. more accepted. And and, and a lot yeah. of the reasons is, you know, war and um, it's it just, it was a different world then. It was different. Yeah, it was different. So one day he invites her to go swimming at the beach. So she's finally going to the beach for the first time. But of course, she didn't have a bathing suit. So she borrowed one from the same girl oh, she borrowed the sweater boy. from. Did it cover anything? <laughs> Well, it was obviously too small, um, which left little to the imagination. But she like she wore it underneath her clothes like you do, you know. And they get to the beach, and she takes off her sweater. Yes, the same sweater. She's been wearing it for months at this point, every single day. The same sweater. Wow. So she takes off her Probably sweater and slacks. at this point. Uh, probably. Because, I mean, she would wash it like every day. Um, so she takes her like clothes she's wearing over the bathing suit off and everyone's turns to stare. The gawk. Her boyfriend keeps yelling for her to get in the water. He's like, Hey, we want, you know, let's go swimming. Cause that's why, the, that's why they were there. And, and like, Norma was like, you. I got a show. Norma's like, exactly. She's like, why should I hide this body in the water? So <laughs> I love this. She starts walking very slowly across the sand toward the water and then walked slowly down the beach along the water's edge. Using it as a sand walk, a little catwalk. Oh, yes. Guys start whistling at her. Some of them got up and walked closer just to get a better look at her. Women stopped what they were doing and just stared. 
And so it kind of makes me think of Pamela Anderson oh, when like she was Baywatch. on the Jumbotron. Okay. Because that's like how she got her big break. And, you know, it's just like that the same kind of thing. It's like she just had that thing and you couldn't look away from it. So all this to say, Norma learned at a very young age what it was that got her the attention she craved and that she had been deprived of for her entire childhood, basically. Despite loving all of the newfound attention she was getting, Norma said she had no interest in or thoughts of sex. She said, quote, I had no passion in me. I didn't even know what it meant. Mm. Which is just interesting to think about. She said she didn't want boys in a sexual way. She legit just wanted to hang out and play games with them in the street. All things she was deprived because, of. Because, you know, because, you know, she's 13. Right. Like, and then she said, she said at one point, quote, occasionally I let one of them kiss me to see if there was anything interesting in the performance. There wasn't. <laughs> I'm like, yes, girl. (laughs) Um, Eventually, the attention she was getting started to be a bit much, though. Guys were starting to get aggressive and rough, and girls were still constantly accusing her of stealing their boyfriends, and they would just say nasty things about her. So to help keep the haters at bay, if you will, her Aunt Grace suggested she get married. Now, Norma brushed it off at first. She was like, I'm too young. Marriage is, like, not even a thought in my head. But then the host family that she was staying with dropped a bomb on her that they were moving away and they would not be able to take her with them. She was going to be left behind. Norma knew. Yeah. And she knew that that would mean she would end up back in the orphanage, which was the last place she wanted to be. So at the age of 16 years old, she agreed to marry a neighbor boy named Jim Doherty. They knew each other because he lived near her host family, but Norma wasn't really into him. She thought he was boring. But again, like she did not want to go back to the orphanage. And this was kind of her way out of it. Do what it takes. Yeah. So after they married, she became even less interested in sex. She said they didn't really communicate at all and that her marriage didn't bring her happiness or pain. The most important thing it did was end her status as an orphan. Wow. Like. That's pretty profound. So when you think about that, like, it doesn't bring you happiness or pain. You're just, you're going through the motions. Like, you don't even care. It's just like, ah, that just, that's shit. And a convenience factor. Yeah. She said, she said she much preferred hanging out with kids in the street playing games. Like, that's truly, literally all she wanted to do. she's still really a kid. And she didn't really have a childhood. Exactly. In 1944, during World War II, Jim joined the Marines, and Norma, who was 18 at the time, got a job in a parachute factory as an inspector, which is, like, badass. I just think that's the coolest thing. When Jim returned home for overseas, he was like, you know what? It's time to have a baby. But Norma was not into it. At this point in her life, she absolutely did not want to have kids because she was afraid they would end up in an orphanage like she did. Later in life, though, when she became successful, like her thoughts on having kids changed and she dreamed of having a baby. But at this point in her life, she was a firm no, hard pass. Ultimately, she and Jim just weren't compatible and they divorced. She was 19 years old. So divorce one. Okay. Yes, that so that was her Under first 20. marriage. Yeah. But she's out of the system and now she's an adult, so she can't go back into the system. And she has- so now she realizes 
shit, I need to earn yeah, some money. And she has a little work experience. Is it is she's post-war like, now? Uh, yes. Um, so since she learned that her appearance was something that attracted a lot of attention, she figured she could probably get jobs as a model. And she was right. She started going to photography studios and posing for ad layouts. But the problem was these photographers were also looking for work, so they couldn't pay her much. But she made enough to pay her rent, and she could afford just one meal a day. But she said, quote, when you're young and healthy, a little hunger isn't too important. Oh. Like, Plus she was used she, to it from the stale bread and... That, see, that's exactly it. Like she just... That was the way. Her, she started off with a horrible diet. And so when she couldn't afford to eat food, um, you know, when she was like on her own as an adult, she was like, meh, no big deal. Um, she said what is important is loneliness, meaning that being lonely can... It can have a huge factor on your well-being. And she felt that was that weighed more on her than, like, not having enough food to eat. Uh, I would concur. She, yeah. She felt extremely lonely with no family and no real friends, really. She said Sundays were the worst because shops were closed on Sundays. No so she couldn't out. browse around shopping and she couldn't apply for a job there. So instead, she'd go on walks. And eventually, one of her walks led her to Union Station in Los Angeles, and she started going there every Sunday. She would stay the entire day and just people watch. I mean, that's a favorite pastime of mine, too, in New York. Yeah. And so many people, so many different people passed through there. You never know what one person can do for you. Well, and at that time, like, I don't even think she was thinking maybe someone can do something for me. Like, I think... She just needed to get out, and she just found other and people feel fascinating. Yeah. Um, so while she was living on her own, she was getting the occasional modeling gig. She secretly dreamed of becoming an actor. She knew nothing about acting, had never tried it, had never even shared this dream of hers with anyone. Uh, and sometimes, rather than use what little money she had for that day's one meal— she would spend it on speech lessons. Speech. See, now I need speech <laughs> lessons. She would spend it on speech lessons, which were a dollar a piece, which today is around 15 bucks. And she said, quote, a hamburger will never make you an actress. Speech lessons may. Ah. I mean. Which, I mean, you do still need to eat, though, Norma. Um, so at night in her tiny Hollywood apartment, she would go over her speech lessons out loud. And here are a couple of phrases that she practiced. The first one is, I'm not going to get this right. <laughs> okay. The first one is, Ariadne arose from her couch in the snows in the Acrocoronian mountains. Okay. I think I kind of said that right. And the second one was, hail to thee, blithe spirit, bird thou never wert. And she would just say these over and over, over, and, over and over again. I think yeah. maybe that's my ticket to um, words. And being able to Same. say horror, 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 horror wood. Horror wood. Horror okay. Wood. okay. You're getting better. I'll just practice Maryland's speech lessons and it'll be a go. Yeah, I like it. When she started out acting, Norma said there were so many pretty girls who all wanted the same thing, which was to get discovered. 
And I would say even back then, that's crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's what I thought too. It's so saturated now. I can't even imagine. I would think then it was like hardly anybody's in that world. And you you literally took the words out of my (laughs) mouth. I was just going to say it's so saturated now. But it was then too. Wow. Yeah. So, um, she, she would hang out at cafes and drugstore counters, hoping to be discovered, which was a thing like drugstore counters. Yeah. Were a thing. Um, the most famous the one I think rivers. is probably, is probably Schwa's like pharmacy. It was a pharmacy, but like also served as a soda shop and a lunch counter. Those fountain sodas were huge. I mean, they're, they're pretty good. Have you ever had a green river? It's oh. really good. I don't, I've never heard of Green River. Okay, well, we can look it up Is later. it the name of it? It's a, the name of a fountain drink, name? and it was green, and it was, like, zesty, you know, kind of like a, a oh. soda pop, but, like, you know, they were, I don't know, fountain drinks. There was a pharmacy where, close to where I lived, and that was what we would do after we'd go walk beans. We would get to go to the farm. Walk walk beans? Yeah, you know, like farmland, like, you know, you detassel, walk <laughs> beans. So that was I our reward. <laughs> I know now I sound never... I sound like I'm like from the 1950s at this point but you do you do I, I assure I've you I've never heard the expression we would walk beans. I assure you that I had more than two outfits I was lucky I was I, I'm thankful for that and I did have a Sunday dress so there are two things that But did you live on a farm and walk beans Well I didn't live, didn't on, a farm. live on I a lived farm. I lived in town but on the outskirts of town where there was a pasture in my backyard they had cows okay um they weren't my cows but I talked to them every day Probably why I'm a bit I'm learning so much about you right now Um okay. me and Norma Oh, all right. Yeah, I do feel like you have some similarities happening right now. Yeah, I am blonde. Um, I just don't. We, I just don't have the rack that she had. We well, and the thing was, she actually wasn't even really blonde. So true. You know, uh, well, that works yeah. out. <laughs> we. I might actually. We might do an episode on Schwab's because there's a lot of there's like a lot of stuff there. I mean, it got pretty famous. Okay. Um, it might be like a a Patreon bonus like once we set up Patreon, which I need to figure out setting up Patreon. Um. But for every, so back to Norma, for every young woman aspiring to become an actress, there were just as many creepers preying on that ambition, acting as talent agents, managers, assistants, prom- promising stardom if, of course, they slept of with them. Of course. Nothing's really One changed man, that much. I mean, days. I, yeah, w- yeah. Now it's just out One in the open. Man, well, and I do think like with the Me Too movement, it's, things are being talked about more and so you're so it's maybe not as um prominent as it was you know even just a few years ago and I also know that now there are um what is it like sexual harass they have to go through like a sexual harassment training training. okay on set yeah Yeah. we call that clean and safe schools at our school but we do that too I mean even as teachers yeah so um, one man that Norma came in contact with was a guy named John Sylvester. Sylvester. And John told Norma he was a talent scout for Samuel Goldwyn, which the Goldwyn is the G in MGM. So ah. like big deal. He's a big deal. Um, he claimed Mr. Goldwyn was interested in Norma for a role in his next film and wanted her to audition. Finally. So Norma was like, cool beans, let's do this. And agreed to meet with John at the studio. So he gives her a script. She goes to the studio And the audition was to take place in an office there. So she sits on the couch, begins her audition. And as she's reading, John Sylvester interrupts her and says, oh, uh, can you uh, can you lift your dress above your knee? And she was like, 
well, that's weird, but okay, maybe he needs to like see my figure for this role or whatever. So she lifts her dress a little and continues reading, and John says, higher. Oh. So she lifts it higher. Then John sits Lift next to her mouth. on the couch and just starts groping her. Mm. So what does she do? She punches him right in the eye. <laughs> then she kicks oh, him yes. and slams her high heel down on his toes and ran the fuck this chick out is of savage. There. I mean, she's got some savvy like moves. She is. She, she is to. badass. She's so badass. Um, in addition to men promising to further her career, she slept with them. They were also trying to buy her with fancy dinners and new clothes, even a new apartment. Like one guy offered her a new apartment, but Norma refused to be bought. Probably, I think it stems from because she spent her entire childhood essentially being bought by these families, you know. So despite these men's efforts, Norma never accepted their money or slept with them. She did, however accompany them to swanky places because she felt there was always a chance she'd get noticed and get offered a job. Listen, you know. So she wouldn't sleep with them and when they offered her money she wouldn't take it but she would she would basically like be their arm candies to see if she could get noticed. And sometimes, you know, getting a dinner out of something isn't that bad when you have to endure I mean, maybe it's not the, the pain of like a conversation with an idiot. <laughs> at at one point at one point, her car was repossessed, and she needed $50 to get it back, but she refused to call up any of the men that had offered her money. She was like, nope, I've got to figure this out on my own. Like, this just makes me want to go back in time and slip her a 50. Like, I just want to help her. I mean, she was – she she had standards, and she had respect girl, for same. herself. And I, and I do feel like – I don't know. I just feel like that gets lost in all of the mm-hmm. stories that we hear about her. It's like she went through so much shit and she was not there to take a handout. She was like, no, I, I've got to figure this out on my own. So the thing about L.A. is it's a huge place and it's very spread out. And without a car, because it got mm. repossessed, Norma couldn't get around. And obviously Uber wasn't a thing yet. So she couldn't get to casting offices or talent agencies to try and get work. She was just stuck. But... It wasn't long before a photographer that she had worked with previously called her up, and he asked if she would be interested in posing naked for a calendar. Here's the thing. She didn't have a problem posing nude. She said nudity and sex are the most commonplace things in the world, and she didn't know why people got all weird I mean, about it. that's how we were born. We were nude when True. we were born, I mean, so yeah. it's kind of natural. Exactly, and that's how she felt about it. She was just like, yeah, it's no big deal. She was concerned, however, that if she ever did make it as an actress, the photos could have a damaging effect on her career. But I mean, that's why I haven't been in Playboy yet. I don't know if I could work at a school, so there's that. I mean, okay. yeah, this I'm sure like the school would be like, um, Kaylee, we you were, you were in the ask, July. Don't ask us how. Don't ask us how, but we happen to see your Playboy photos. <laughs> so you're fine. Um We saw you in the July so- magazine and uh we have some questions. <laughs> Uh, but I can just I'm just picturing like either of us trying to pose for Playboy and it would be the most comical debacle oh my god (laughs) but the photographer promised Norma she would be unrecognizable in the photos and he said I'll pay you 50 bucks the face or what what, like not have a face well like probably like you know like kind of 
like oh, having turned. her turn okay. in a way okay. or like a little something covering her face, you know, it's so like you really couldn't tell. Is that her? Is it not like he was like, don't worry, it's going to be tasteful, blah, blah, blah. And she had worked with this guy before. So she was like, cool, cool, cool. So she so, trusted him. Yeah. Okay. So he's like, I'll pay you 50 bucks, which was exactly how much she needed to get her car back. So she's like, you know what? Okay. The math skills and came in handy. She made her 50 bucks. She got her car back the very next day. So Norma's doing her thing. She's got her car. She can go on auditions now. And eventually she landed a small role in a movie and was put on a six-month contract with a studio. And when I say small role, like she literally just walks past another character, waves and says hello, and then moves on. Um, get a break her part was a, I mean, true. Like you, you start small and then you work your way up. And this is back when like studios would put you under contract. So like they could use you as bit players and be like, oh yeah, call up Norma. She'll, we'll have her be the waitress in this. So it was a little different okay. than how it's, how it is now. So she got this six month contract. So that's pretty big deal. Um, her part, however, was eventually cut from the movie, but she didn't really care because she knew she wasn't a good actor yet and she wanted to get better. So she spent her salary on acting, dancing, and singing lessons. She read a bunch of books. She would sneak scripts off of set and practice reading them out loud in front of her mirror at home. So she really had a passion. I mean, she wanted to perfect her craft. I mean, this is something that she, she was did. going after. That's the thing. Like, she wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to go be an actress. Okay, great. I've got this contract. She wanted to be good. And she was doing everything in her power to make that happen. So, I mean, the fact that she would, like, sneak scripts off of set and then, like, read them over and over just practicing. Um, she also said she practiced posing and walking like a queen. Ooh. Because she was just trying to become the best version Noted. of herself. I know, so, right? Like when I walk downstairs today, if I'm posing and practicing like a queen, just, you know, write it off. You're just becoming the best version of yourself. That's all. Although I would say like, I think we already are queens, but, um, so to that, I say, okay, I have to say like, hopefully this isn't guys, if you're listening out there, I am sorry if my voice is echoing because it's echoing in my headphones right now. I'm trying to like move the mic. Um, the casting director of the studio at the time, uh, he was a man by the name of Ben Lyon. He was also an actor. He saw something in her and he said, you know, I think you need a more glamorous name, like something more glamor oh, glamorous than Norma Doherty, because she was still going by her married name. So she was Norma Doherty, oh. you know, on all these auditions. Which is not a smooth name to say. I probably couldn't even say it. it. Is, I can't even say oh, whatever. I'm, I'm having trouble just saying it, like, and I'm reading it in front of me. And she was like, you know what? I think you're right. Especially because Doherty wasn't really her name anymore since she was divorced. So he suggested Marilyn as a first name because he'd worked with an actress um, named Marilyn Miller and said Norma reminded him of her. She was like, cool, cool, cool. Let me think on that. She goes to her Aunt Grace and she says, look. This studio exec thinks it would be a good idea if I changed my name and he suggested Marilyn, what do you think? And Grace said, yeah, Marilyn would actually go really well with your mother's maiden name. And Norma was like, well, shit, I never even knew my mom's maiden name. What is it? To which Grace replied, Monroe. 
Turns out Gladys, Norma's mom, was related to President Monroe. And Norma was a direct descendant. Yes. But Norma chose not to tell anyone about being related to a president because she wanted to make a name for herself. Ooh, interesting. Literally and figuratively and make it on her own. Wow. And then the JFK thing comes later. Wow. So goodbye, Norma Jean. Hello, Hello, Marilyn Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. Love it. And this is where we're going to end part one. Fascinating. I think, I mean, yeah, it's just seeing like, or, you know, reading about all the things that she went through as a kid. And you just kind of see like how she how she works to improve herself and she what she didn't want a handout which again like is so like kind of mind-boggling but like I have mad respect for it because she didn't have shit growing up well and it gives me like there's mass amounts of empathy for her because honestly I didn't know I don't know much about her and all I know is like there, you know, some uh, some storm later in her life that I was like, oh, maybe it was just because she was in Hollywood and, and an elite, right? But yeah. now I have such a background on her. I'm like, wow, she really did, um, you know, create something for herself by eliminating the factors that were bringing her down all the time. I mean, and I don't even know that she like, could really eliminate those she just she just worked as hard as she could to to overcome it or to get through it that's and fair. i mean that's fair, yeah. granted like later in life she does resort to other ways of coping mm-hmm. and we'll get into all of that in part two but um yeah that was part one hope you liked the learning about the early life of miss marilyn monroe and um do you Kaylee, do you have anything you would like to add at this moment? A palate cleanser, if you will. I will say, though, that wasn't like a super gruesome episode, but. Um, it's leading in. I mean, this is like mean, a, a lot of times gruesome things or crimes don't happen without a backstory, right? I mean. Well, yeah. And I mean, shitty, shitty things did happen, happen to her. Um, but yeah, we'll get. In part two, we'll get more into, like, her career, her relationships. And then, like I said, it's probably going to be a three-parter because I just don't think I could get it into two parts. I want more, um, though. I think- so I'm I'm all for it. Okay, good. I mean, I think to do Marilyn Monroe justice, like, you just – you have to divide it up and you have to, like, dive deep. Absolutely. Uh, you know, because one of her most iconic films was The Misfit, and we're kind of putting that out there, that – if and when we have our listeners, they're also misfits. Uh, my only palette cleanser today is uh, asking you a question. Do, do you know where the word misfit comes from? Have I mean, do you know the backstory of that or do you have... Like the etymology of misfit? Yeah. I don't. Are you going to tell me? I sure am. So it's a 19th okay. century word. Um Probably by the end of the 1800s or whatnot. And it really meant a garment that fits badly. So already I resonate okay. with this word because I'm like, often do my garments fit badly. So I, I'm already like, well, I'm a misfit, clearly. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm still thinking about the sweater that she was wearing. <laughs> and like, I mean, the fact that she wore that every, every single day. day for months. 
months. So it was almost like a precursor. It was like this, this thing that, you know, she already had. Right. And it's just funny that she eventually comes into this movie. Right. Um, but then what happens is that later on it kind of, um, formed into, um, primarily meaning outcast or oddball because mm-hmm. of the fit in both cases. It's, it's like the, the prefixes miss means wrong. Right. Um, yeah. and so I, I think that it's just like, I feel like I can be a, mi- a misfit sometimes. Like I'm an oddball. And so I think we're all kind of misfits. Right. And yeah, I just thought and it'd be she- cool to define that word. Thank you. Thank you for that, Miss Kelly. And, and also, that's funny. That's what my students call me. Um, I know. <laughs> I um, so also in slang, though, a misfit is a person who is poorly adapted to a situation or environment. So it, it just really uh, hones in. It goes into the fact of like kind of like her upbringing. And I just oh, yeah. love that later in life, she's in this film, which, by the way, I've never well, seen The Misfits with Clark Gable. Oh, I watched it. We'll talk okay. about it. Okay, great. Um but yeah, she always considered herself, she called herself a Hollywood misfit. And yeah, that's, I think that's, a, well, that played a big role in like wanting to like name our listeners misfits and ourselves because we all are and we're all just here. And hopefully you all will stay here and tune in for part two. And in the meantime, you can check out our Instagram because we are we are going to post something um, eventually uh, at Horrorwood Podcast. That's H-O-R-R-O-R-P-O-D. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> I can't say it and you can't spell it. Boy, are we a team. It's it's at H-O-R-R-O-R-W-O-O-D Podcast. Um, I think there's a Facebook page or a group or something. Yeah. I think I, I think I made that. Uh, I don't think there's anything on it yet, but we're getting there uh, at Horrorwood Podcast. And then uh, you can check out Twitter at Horrorwood Pod because Horrorwood Podcast was too many letters. And maybe I'll make my first twit, tweet, twit, Twitter. I don't know. Never had it. We'll see. You've never had Twitter? No. Oh, I have it, but I never use it. I mean, I just, it's not my go-to. Um, but I, but I, but I read everything else on it. Like I'm on it's it. It's a little bluebird stuff. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I just like, I'm terrible with social media, but anyway, we'll get better. I'll get better. We'll see. <laughs> um, and we just want to say thanks for listening and we'll see you when we won't see you, but I would love to. I'm sure you're all gorgeous. Um, we will be talking to you again in a week. Fare thee well, mafia, honey. Ha <laughs> ha